It's time for some ASAP Frontline. I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton. Thanks for joining me today. Today, I'm joined remotely by Dr. Joe Wackerly. He's very active within the ASAP membership, former editor-in-chief of the Annals of Emergency Medicine, 1989 to 2002. But what we're talking about today in his area of expertise is part of his role that he had with the uh, through the uh, NFL, the Kansas City Chief as their team physician, 1990 to 2010. And what we've heard a whole bunch about throughout medicine, and if your practice is like mine, which I imagine is probably not terribly different, you have folks coming into the emergency department wanting to be checked out, concern over concussions. A huge topic within the NFL football in general, but also popular within other sports, but something that the lay public has interest in because honestly, gravity and the human condition don't always agree. And so um, I'm actually sitting here perusing Dr. Wackerly. He's he's well known enough that he's got his own Wikipedia page. So if you want to check him out, you can uh, just type in Joseph Wackerly and you can find a nice picture and all his information and alma maters and early life and all kinds of interesting things. But uh, let's get right to the meat of the matter here. Dr. Wackerly, thanks for joining me and give us a little background of who you are, where you are, and how you got interested in concussions. Well, first, thank, thank you for having me on. Uh, secondly, I appreciate the discussion of the important topic of concussions, mild traumatic brain injury, is essential in the to uh, understand and deliver quality care in the practice of emergency medicine, especially with all the concerns about long-term outcome, at least the discussion, not a lot of science. And I guess the background was very interesting for me. I initially was going into orthopedic surgery with the hope that I could do sports medicine. I went directly into an orthopedic residency program in Akron, Cleveland at the end of my medical school education. I had, interestingly enough, taken a rotation in emergency medicine at the old Kansas City General Hospital in Kansas City under a famous Vietnam trauma surgeon who'd come back to Kansas City where he had done his residency training and fellowship training. And the positive experience of practicing in his emergency department was so memorable to me that after the first year of orthopedics, well, actually a year and a half because I did a year of research, uh, the uh, opportunity to go back and be his one of his first residents in emergency medicine was something I couldn't turn down. So then in 73 through 75, I finished my emergency medicine residency and stayed on as faculty. In those days, I still had a tremendous interest in sports medicine, realized that emergency medicine was even more helpful in the practice of on-field and, and out-of-hospital care in sports medicine. And so I continued it through uh, playing and then serving as the team physician for the United States Rugby Leagues and teams and traveled overseas with them and then extended that through my various exposures to other areas uh, of sports and student-athletes. 
for the Kansas City Chiefs in primary care. And then I served on, um, I think, as we joked about the other day, every committee in the NFL and the NFL Players Association that had any uh, discussions or focus on mild traumatic brain injury, head and neck injury, and concussion work. I since continue that today. And that's what's interesting is, yeah, looking back, uh, being part of the role of the NFL as a member of the Committee on Mild Traumatic Brain Injury way back to 1995. So for some younger folks back there, that's, that's not that far back. But um, it seems like the conversation that we've been hearing um, with regard to concussions and traumatic brain injuries and really has only been fired up for about the last 10 years. But starting back in 1995 up to 2009, you're in that committee and then that transitioned over to a, sounds like a head, neck and spine injury committee of the NFL. You're the only physician that was selected in 2009 to be on both the NFL and the NFL Players Association Committee. So obviously very well respected from both the participant and the um, owner's uh, league standpoint of things. Um, so give us that trend. How did that really transpire? We see it happened in 1995. Football, of course, has been around for many, many years prior to that. What were the first things that really came about that uh, started to get this realization of the potential effects of concussions, uh, mild traumatic brain injury in this sport uh, through the NFL, which is clearly the one that's taken the most attention about this uh, about this issue? Great question and very perceptive comment at the end. It does have the most attention, but when you're a $9 billion corporation and you uh, and you become sort of an antagonist to the New York Times and others, uh, of course, you're going to get a lot of attention. With the background, the league realized in the early 90s that head and neck injuries are going to be a problem. There was a paucity of literature or science or real knowledge uh, in the in all of medicine and especially the NFL with regard to the pathophysiology and management, both acutely and chronically, of head and neck injuries. I was brought on by then the general manager and president Carl Peterson of the Kansas City Chiefs in 89-90 because of my prior background in rugby and soccer and uh, other sports, and especially because of the fact that emergency medicine was the primary caregiver for all, all the acute head and neck injuries that occurred in the pre-hospital care system and in the emergency department. And others had abdicated the role to us, um, most often appropriately so. So the realization of the orthopedic surgeon, the head orthopedic surgeon for the Chiefs, John Brown, and Carl Peterson was, we need to be bringing a primary care doc in sports medicine who has a background in, uh, in head and neck injury. So the emergency medicine, sports medicine marriage was perfect and very appropriate. So that's that's sort of how I got started with the Chiefs, and then that evolved quickly into becoming active in the various discussions regarding acute management on field, 
on the sideline and in the locker room and then on to the emergency department and then on to the specialist, subspecialist of the team. That's how it all started. I think they began to realize that this was going to be a significant problem when uh, Aikman and Montana and a few people were going down with head injuries and had to retire and or miss a lot of playing time. And that was, that was what, in my opinion, was one of the early precipitators of the focus on this problem. Unfortunately, when we started to talk about it, there was, as I said earlier, very little published on the science of mild traumatic brain injury concussion, whether it be short-term or long-term. And one of the initial jobs that we had was to begin to collect data, which was available to us through the NFL trainers, professional uh, trainers association. And the opportunity to collect it, review it, and then start to put out some science, quote unquote, was important because there was really nothing out there at the time. And that's sort of how it all evolved. Interestingly, I was about to call it the uh, I was about to call it the Troy Aikman committee because I remember watching the end of his career and thinking like every time the wind would blow, the the, the flags would shift at the stadium, he'd end up with a concussion. So, um, I appreciate you for serving on the Troy Aikman committee uh, for so many years. As as you, uh, it it seems like when this first came out, it was probably more of an understanding realization of the acute injuries, the acute. Uh, traumatic brain injury and concussion type syndromes. When did it start to make that transition? Because you just mentioned it in the answer, the acute versus long-term. When did it start to make that transition to, oh, we've got more of a long-term concern issue with the stacking of these concussion type syndromes and minor traumatic brain injuries. And then we'll use that to wrote to uh, then transition what that means for the rest of our patient populations in emergency medicine? The period in the beginning focused on, is it occurring? How often is it occurring? Are we picking it up? And what are the mechanisms of injury? Those were our first foci, if you will, our topics of discussion. Quickly, as it became more of a media sensation, a media darling, appropriately or inappropriately, the politics of it and the egos involved and the money involved became integral to the science, unfortunately. And people started uh, presenting a lot of ideas uh, and observations. Some were in unison with uh, the NFL committees and some were contrary. The contrary one were equally as good and dedicated people as the NFL committee, but due to politics and personalities, the discussions and the responsible debate that should have occurred sometimes didn't occur. Uh, And therefore, it became somewhat adversarial. The media, of course, uh, the New York Times, Sports Illustrated, and others, seemed to, at least to me, to provoke more debate that was less responsible 
and less scientific. And as somebody who tried to be a, a responsible researcher, editor, and author, it, it was a bit frustrating. That's not my cup of tea. My cup of tea is to find out what the most objective data is and make decisions based on the objective data that's best for the patient, the, the player, and the game. And those are in harmony because you can't have a game without players and you can't have players without a game. So with all that in mind, it quickly degraded from cooperation and liaisons to adversarial debates more often held in the press and in media and less based on the science. I don't really need to get into names because it doesn't serve anyone. And, and I don't think anybody was inherently malicious or was trying to make a name for themselves. I think everybody truly believed in, in their position. Uh, and I saw a benefit in both sides, which is, I think, part of why I was honored enough to be included in discussions on both sides of the issue by labor and management. Uh, again, politics isn't my strong suit, but trying to be objective and sort through the quote-unquote science of the time was was part of my responsibility. Having said that, we then, as I said, evolved or or degraded uh, ourselves back into uh, discussions focused on whose science was good, who was trying to make a name for themselves, what was anecdotal, what was objective, what was real, and which way we should go and what we should do, and got off the subject of the player and the game a little bit. More recently, when the 2009, I believe is when you said it transitioned from the old Nostradamus Brain Injury Committee to a new, much more scientific, much more rigorous committee of experts managed in total by neurosurgeons in the NFL side and neurology and neurosurgery in the NFLPA side, that we, we began to get into some responsible debates over good science, bad science, anecdotal, uh, non-anecdotal stuff, and begin to have these worldwide, not just within the NFL and the NFL Players Association. It's nice as, well, I, I can understand your frustration. I mean, being in somebody who gets involved on the politics side, um, more of a necessity rather than desire, it can be incredibly frustrating for you being a beacon of a beacon of science, being that editor editor chief of Annals for uh, uh, for so many years, to be there with all of this media and uh, positioning, posturing that was going on um, over the last number of years. But let's transition because what this has done is it has brought awareness to traumatic brain injury and concussions and monitoring and recognition and care outside, well outside the NFL. To the point now that even when kids are running around at home and they trip and fall, the family comes in and brings them into my emergency room and says, hey, we want to come in to be evaluated for a concussion. And so now we're getting that increased recognition and concern among the lay public in our coming to our emergency rooms, but also we're facing a gap in the knowledge and us trying to catch up with recognition plans, follow-up care, and education with our patients. So let's talk about that a little bit. 
what is that? How is this your your work with the NFL transition to the care at the bedside of emergency departments throughout the country? Well, the NFL is a nine billion dollar industry, as I mentioned earlier, roughly, give or take a few billion. What's a few billion here and there? Uh, and they have the luxury, because of that, to have on the sideline in the locker room and immediately on call various specialty subspecialists that can attend to a five or ten million dollar player with a phone call or see them in the locker room in the stadium so that's great as we begin to strengthen and solidify through the leadership of tom mayor and the nflpa tom being an emergency doc and the medical director of the nflpa and enlightened leadership especially the new committee under ella bogan the um the care of this, uh, the NFL player, that trickled down, as you would expect, to the college, high school, middle school, grade school level. And it also spread not only to football, but to other areas where some of us were as equally concerned, if not more so, about participation in sports where we saw more head injury per student athlete or per athlete hour practicing or playing than in the NFL. For example, the highest instance of concussions more, most recently has been discussed uh, with regard to adolescent female soccer players. Certainly lacrosse, rugby, and ice hockey have a higher incidence of traumatic brain injury concussion than football per participant hour, whether it be competitive play or practice. And this has been all healthy for our student-athletes, our children, and our future in this country and throughout the world. So you're going to see, as a result of that, many, many more people going to primary care docs, urgent care centers, and emergency departments with these kind of complaints. And that necessitates that the emergency physician, who is the primary caregiver often, especially in the inner city and urban population, for head injury, uh, more visits and more demands placed on them than before. The other downstream effect of this is all 50 states have a requirement now that not only do you have to be seen by a physician often required to be knowledgeable and experienced in concussion care, but you have to go through a return to play protocol and then signed off by a physician prior to returning to competitive uh, athletic play. Those kinds of people may not be readily available, so the emergency department physician, the emergency physician is now challenged by the fact that they not only need to do the primary care evaluation, the initial evaluation and and recommended management, but it may be due to a number of factors that they're the only physician seeing the injured student athlete, and they may be requested to clear them, and that's created a bit of controversy as well. So when the NFL funded through the Emergency Medicine Foundation, the ASAP Emergency Medicine Foundation course on concussion care in the emergency department, that was a very discussed and focused topic because a lot of people uh, do not feel that the emergency physician should get involved in long-term management and clearance issues. That's not their training or expertise unless they choose to go that way. 
and the liability issues and the demands of knowing all that body of literature and how often it changes may be uh, unfair to ask the emergency physician to become ex experts in and have them sign off, especially since they, because they can't follow them on a regular basis as is required as you manage a concussed student athlete. I can feel as somebody who works nights in the emergency department, I don't have that neurologist sitting there behind me um, who taps me on the shoulder like at event medicine and says, I got it from here. You know, we'll, we'll monitor and we'll take it. We'll, we'll make sure this happens. For us, you hit it with many of these. For us, it's the young athlete, that young, especially in the fall with the football getting in. But you also mentioned these other sports where we have to be more attuned, where it is actually more common, but probably less recognized, uh, that it's and less monitored and less and, and less controlled, honestly, when it comes to making sure these folks are cleared before getting back into activity. What are some of the things that I can do as an emergency physician working this weekend at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning when somebody brings somebody into the emergency room? to be ready to test, evaluate, and recognize concussion syndromes and mild traumatic brain injuries in the emergency department? Well, obviously, I would tell you we all have to be equally aware that the um, risk, because of the younger ages and because of less availability of professional health care for people to uh, attend to them short-term or long-term, we're going to be confronted with these types of problems more than ever now. And it's going to be riskier than ever because it's a younger population of males and females, and there's a tremendous concern of long-term sequelae. So, yes, it behooves us all as emergency physicians to be able to do a good neurologic exam tailored to identify and initially manage the mild traumatic brain injury or concussion, and I believe they're two separate entities, by the way. And uh, as we also are challenged every day to see the moderate and severe because the neurosurgeon is in the OR and busy, and the neurologist, for the most part, are, have not been in the past interested in acute uh, head injury and have abdicated their role, at least in our communities, to a degree for other important issues for them to care for. We hardly have neurologists take call in the hospitals anymore, and we try not to bother the neurosurgeons because they're with the moderate and severe requiring their expertise in the operating room and, and in the trauma centers. That leaves it to us, and that's good because we have done a remarkable job so far in managing the uh, head injuries in the United States, but it also requires of us to become, as you point out, much more sensitive to and knowledgeable about mild traumatic brain injury and or concussion. And the one hope that the Emergency Medicine Foundation and the NFL had was that the course that they sponsored and put out would be accessible to all emergency docs all over the world, but especially in the United States, and that it would help them better care for their patients as they present to the emergency department. The course was therefore designed to be to serve as a template for each emergency physician to base focus their exam and base their exam on the essential elements that should be answered 
when a patient comes to the emergency department. And the essential neurologic exam, not only for the benefit of the patient, but for the benefit of the re of the receiving physician who was then asked to manage the mild traumatic brain injury or concussed student athlete or athlete or driver or pedestrian or veteran or law enforcement personnel that have been ex exposed to, for example, blast injury or assault victims and others. The, the premise of the mild traumatic brain injury care and management is similar in all those cases. And there are certain essentials that we need to focus on in the future. And let me give you one example. There's a large movement in the United States fostered by One Mind out of Seattle, which is a, a philanthropic organization led by very, very altruistic people that have David Wright at Emory and other esteemed head injury people in, in and out of emergency medicine, pediatrics, and other areas in neurosurgery that point out for, just to give you an example, that every trauma victim that comes to an emergency department in America needs to be evaluated for brain injury. And how many, because we focus on the major injuries of a trauma victim, how many people go unquestioned and unexamined to determine if they have a concussion, which down the road may turn out, if they get post-concussion syndrome or long-term complications, to be more disabling uh, than the, the traumatic injuries that they suffered and healed from. That's just an example of how we're extending this uh, topic into what we routinely do on a daily basis. Certainly every car accident, every assault victim, every substance abuse or, or uh, toxic, intoxicated or toxic individual or person, older person on anticoagulation therapy, all these areas and certainly babies uh, and abuse people, whether they be old or young, are potential victims uh, with brain injury. So with this whole spectrum that we've opened up of patients who potentially could have this, we now need to be more aware of it and look for it. And if we, what's the old saying in radiology, you see what you look for and you look for what you know. So if you know a little bit more about traumatic brain injury, whether it be mild, moderate, or severe, and concussion, then you will learn to identify it and, and institute post-emergency department care for these individuals, which may be essential in their recovery to well-being. And uh, so a long answer to a great question, that would be there's a lot of literature out there, certainly a lot of experts or so-called experts, but there are basic fundamental principles that have been addressed and designed for emergency physicians that are readily available to the emergency physician through courses, educational media, and certainly the NFL EMF course. Yeah, we definitely want to mention that that's a free online course that you can find on the ASEP webpage. It's actually asep.org slash concussion essentials. It's a free course, Concussion Essentials from EMF and the NFL Foundation. There's a picture of Dr. Wackerly right there with a great quote, as well as some AMA, uh, AMA uh, credit, CME credit as well. If you don't uh, want to go searching or typing that in, you can actually just search it on your browser and it comes up as one of the top uh, couple of things. If you just hit, put ASAP and concussion, you'll see a lot of the resources that are available over the last number of years, but this course as well. So we're getting our physicians onboarded and up to speed. We've got the courses available. 
but now we have this lay public coming in with their family members uh, to be checked out for concussions. Many of them believe that we're going to get a CT scan or an x-ray or some sort of lab test. And it's going to put the finger or confirm a concussion um, there in the emergency room. And so that starts the education of that. This is more of a clinical diagnosis, recognition, symptom, uh, symptoms, things like that. Uh, not something we're going to see on a specific test. How do we arm ourselves for education? What do we need to teach these athletes or family members about concussions and the short-term risk, long-term risk, and long-term risk, and their interest in, um, you know, in many cases, trying to get back to activities with within the next couple of days? Well, that's uh, obviously the million-dollar question. First of all, there is no diagnostic test for concussions. It's a clinical diagnosis because it's a functional injury and not a structural injury. And by that, you know that I mean that if you do a CT in these people, by definition, if they have a positive CT, so they're not really a concussion. Concussion and conventional imaging and conventional testing has no positives that point out to it currently. We're looking at saliva tests, blood tests, uh, diffusion-weighted images on MRI, functional MRIs, none of which is readily available. More recently, uh, I have, as I do this full-time now, and do sports medicine full-time and don't practice emergency medicine anymore, I become a team member with the parents and the student-athlete or with the student-athlete and their, their husband-wife family, whichever the case may be, whether on the professional level, college, grade school, high school, whatever. I, I think that I stress to them now the four R's of, of management. And the first R is reassurance. And multiple literatures uh, supports the fact that the vast majority, 99%, of those who suffer a concussion will recover, uh, certainly in the acute phase, without sequelae, without complications, and that a lot of people tremendously benefit from reassurance that they will recover, especially if you discuss with them what they're going to go through in the timetable that it will occur. And so reassurance is the first R of advising the emergency department patient. The second R is rest. Now, in the past, we have talked about rest over a, a, a certain period of time, Ryan, and that's not been proven to be helpful, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But without getting into it too deeply, I now call it guided rest because if you're a concussion-experienced physician, uh, that you want to guide them through the process of, okay, this is day one, I'd like you to not watch TV, not be on a computer, not use your cell phone, not drive, not be exposed to bright lights, not be exposed to loud sounds, not read, not do your homework, not fulfill your academic obligations, but we'll have a rest period. And as the rest period goes along and is equated with your symptoms, uh, then we will change how we want you to rest. <clears throat> we may expose you to reading for 15 minutes. And, or we may expose you to a walk with your mom and dad. We certainly want absolute prohibition of any physical activity or athletic activity where you could re-injure yourself, expose yourself to further brain trauma and the possibility of the much debated uh, and terrible uh, complication of second impact syndrome, whether you believe in it or not, uh, it, it is dreaded and uh 
and certainly you don't want to get anybody to go that direction. The third R is return to learn, and that is we will let them go back to their academic responsibilities in a graded fashion, uh, and that is determined by the attending physician, the attending athletic trainer, if there is one, or the nurse, school nurse. And after that is successful and they can function daily and fulfill their academic responsibilities, you then put them through the return to play protocols, which are traditional and still accepted and as initially described a number of years ago and managed and delivered by uh, a knowledgeable, responsible healthcare professional in those areas, most often a trainer, sometimes the attending physician or a physical therapist or other person involved with the student athlete in the school system. So those are the four R's. Obviously, an emergency physician is going to be really challenged to get in, involved in the care of a concussed patient to the extent that that requires because, uh, for example, I often see student athletes at the high school level every other day for the first couple of weeks. And today, I have four concussion patients at one high school that I've been the team physician at for 25 years. Uh, two were soccer and two were football. And so it, it is rather demanding. I, I don't recommend most emergency docs unless they have a real interest in, in sports medicine that become certified and have a clinic, want to get into it for that degree. But sometimes in, in rural America, suburban America, or the underserved populations, emergency physicians will be asked to do a lot more than the rest of us are traditionally asked to do. And so we discuss those things, for example, in that continuing education program with an understanding that you need to know what your colleagues are going to be doing down the road so you can be of benefit to them as you begin to document initially what the patient presents with and have a standard questionnaire and standard uh, documentation of those questions and objective findings for them to base their future monitoring on. I think, uh, so you got the four R's. I've come up with the REF that is a physician we need to REF, and that's to recognize, educate, and then get a follow-up plan. You guys can feel free to use that. I haven't, uh, I haven't uh, reserved that uh, phrase yet, but uh, REFs when it comes to concussions, uh, make sure that as an emergency physician, everybody listening, uh, you may not want to get in it to the point of Dr. Wackerly in terms of being that involved, but we all need to recognize because concussion and head injury, traumatic brain injury are going to impact every single one of us in the emergency department, um, no matter where you are across the country, whether it is sports related or otherwise. I mean, there's a lot of things in the world that put our heads at risk and we want to make sure that we can recognize it, apply the proper education and then get these patients the proper follow-up, whether that's in the department or otherwise with specialty care or folks that are appropriately trained to um, to guide the patients through this type of recovery uh, because it's exactly what it is. I mean, with lacerations and with broken bones, it's very easy to limit until recovery because it's something visible or uh, that we can feel, the patient can feel, whereas the concussion syndromes and uh, brain injury related issues are something that uh, 
I think for many, many years, many decades, and honestly, a lot of the parents out there are part of the generation of walk it off or tough it out or get back on the field and um, do what you're supposed to do. Make daddy, make daddy or mommy proud, fulfill our dreams that we weren't able to, uh, to fulfill um, as we were children or young folks. And so we have to advocate for our patients and also advocate for um, these children and young folks as their brains are developing and we want them to be around and fully intact um, as they move forward in life. Um, it's been speaking with Dr. Joseph Wackerly, Dr. Joe Wackerly, uh, very involved with the uh, course, uh, with the American College Emergency Physician free online course, Concussion Essentials with EMF and the Nat- uh, National Football League Foundation. Definitely something worth checking out, gets you some CME credit as well. Uh, Dr. Wackerly, thanks for joining me. Is there any final thoughts that you have and also ways that if people want to get in touch with you or have questions? Oh, sure. I, uh, first of all, they can call me anytime they want. Uh, and I answer my cell phone 24-7. I give it to my patients and I give it to my colleagues and I'd be honored and privileged to discuss this with anybody at any time. It's a, a labor of love for me. And um, I no longer participate in the NFL as of this year uh, or the NFLPA to any great extent because I focus all my time in my community as a way of giving back. And uh, I'm very lucky that I'm able to do that. So, gosh, I'd I'd be happy to discuss it in any way I can to help our colleagues and our specialty because we are the linchpin now of traumatic brain injury care in America. If you got a head injury, you're going to go to the department. Dr. Wackley, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Uh, make sure you can uh, check him out, uh, search him. He's easy, he's easy to find on the inter, uh, internet as well as the uh, ASEP Associated Education. As for us, you can contact us at youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com, youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com. Also invite you to like our Facebook page, ASAP Frontline, and follow along on Twitter at Everyday Med. And until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASAP Frontline. <laughs>